This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line, touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Greetings, programs, and welcome to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. They could be Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, Touchstone, Disney Toon Studios, everything and anything released by the Disney Company. We talk about it here on this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and the folks you are about to meet and I, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews, show notes for this very podcast. You can find reviews of short films from the Disney Company all the way back to the 20s. So make sure you are going over there and checking out all of the information over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me, as always, we have our fine filmic experts. First of all, we have a man who has never been derezzed, and that is the fabulous Mr. Todd Perlmutter. How are you, sir? Yeah, well, it's, it's easy. It doesn't seem to work for users, right? <laughs> exactly. You can't derez a user. <laughs> well, you can, but, you know, it would be more difficult to do. Yes, because they yeah. eat power. I don't understand. Yeah, it is very strange. Uh, also joining us, of course, we have Miss Rachel Kolb of JustPressPlay.net. How are you, Rachel? I'm doing good. Remind me again, we're watching uh, Kevin Flynn and the Terrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, correct? Correct. Yes, correct. That's, okay. that's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, our fine producer, the person who keeps things uh, running on time and on schedule around here, is the one and only Miss Cheryl Perlmutter. How are you, Cheryl? I'm doing good. Glad to hear it. All right, so uh, as you might have guessed, we are talking today about the 1982 Disney, would we call it a classic? Would we use that term? Sure. Yeah, why not? Cult classic, definitely. Cult yes. classic is probably a better way to say it, yes. Uh, yeah. Tron, the 1982 original film starring Bruce Boxleitner, David Warner, Cindy Morgan, and Barnard Hughes. Oh, oh, and right. that Jeff, Jeff Bridges guy, the guy from Iron Man, right? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Marvel Connection. Yeah. Here we go, right off the bat. It, it, but remember, folks, it's Tron all caps. <laughs> of course. But uh, Tron. It's, it's, it, you have to, yeah, you have to emphasize. You have to project from the diaphragm. Can, can uh, I say something very interesting up front? You know how we I always talk about... I don't know, can you? You know how we always talk about how Disney has really bad release dates? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, this, this movie, right, didn't do so hot in the theaters, right? It, that's why it is a cult yes. classic like 
like Rachel said. But uh, part of the reason why it didn't was because it was originally supposed to be released in early spring and got delayed four months into the summer, so that was a July release. Yes. Okay. In the summer when the following movies came out, E.T., Blade Runner, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Poltergeist, Friday the 13th Part 3, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, and Porky's. Not the best summer to try and compete. No. Not, not, no. They don't, um, as we have said often, Disney does not check the calendars in advance. They just sort of say, this seems good. Yes. And this is how we always end up with a, an abundance of good things during the summer and usually during the holidays. And then January and September are the driest, most boring months imaginable. Though that yeah. only actually started in the 80s, that phenomenon. Well, so, yeah, it's, it's a phenomenon of Jaws. From, so, ja- yeah. from Jaws and Star Wars became the blockbuster. So, um, I, so I, one of our friends is questioning us on 100-foot journey, so I was doing research on 100-foot journey today. And one of the fun things I found interesting is because Julia and Julia, Julie and Julia, that movie, and the, there was yeah. another movie at the same time, another cooking movie as this 100-foot journey at the same time slot. So apparently the 100-foot journey time slot has been designated a food movie time slot. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> oh. There you all go. Right. I suppose yeah. it makes sense. You know, we've got all the food festivals here in New York around this time. It's just kind of a nice lead up to all that. Yes. And people should know this is coming up because the week that we're recording this is the week that the 100-foot journey episode came out, just so people understand why that came up. Yes. There you go. So it's interesting we call this a cult classic because it's one of those movies that I think there's there may be some divisiveness about, uh, maybe not in this group, but among the, the community at large. Because uh, if you go back and read the reviews from 1982, the film was praised as a technical and movie-making achievement, but the storytelling is in particular uh, what came under fire because it's, uh, as we were saying before we started, it's complicated, and, and that's a that's – a, that's putting it mildly. Also, in this time range was um, the movement of um, like commu- computer animation and stuff like that. And so apparently, a lot of Disney Disney animators refused to work on this film because you know because they're afraid to lose their jobs and well, well, uh, look what look what happened. Yeah, um, <laughs> prophecies do occur. Yeah, back to the storytelling thing. Uh, I completely agree, like I said before in broadcast, is, is this is perhaps one of the most complicated stories to follow that Disney has ever put on screen, with the exception of Black Hole, which is also similarly complicated. Right. I think this has something to do with like just science fiction in general. Um, like Really hardcore science fiction doesn't necessarily always translate the best story-wise, because there's just so much that you have to explain. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, I kind of sort of feel that uh, this is not so much a science fiction movie other than that it has the trappings of science fiction because it's really about society and castes and, you know, the middle class versus the aristocrats. Sorry, I said a cat. It's okay. We can leave that one in. This is a Disney podcast. Uh, (laughs) But you, you know what I'm saying is. It, they're trying to make a statement, but I don't think they ever come through with whatever the statement is. 
Well, and they also make comments about religion, too, the whole notion of people believing in the users or not believing in the users. There's right. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this was this is I think more of a uh, we talked a little bit about this when we were, when we did uh, Prince of Persia, is that uh, this they, they, there's a lot of um, allegory in the film where I think this one does better than that one in is that it doesn't overtake the storytelling in the movie, you know where it doesn't it's not like so it, it's it's obvious but it's obvious because they are telling a story that involves those things not because they're trying to squeeze modern day things into that story. Yes. Um, one of the other interesting things that I, that I think is when you watch Tron Legacy, right? Because we did Tron Legacy back in episode four, by the way. That's how long ago Tron Legacy was uh, part of our podcast. Um, I kind of sort of feel like Flynn is brought to this godlike level, right? Right. In that, in that grid, which we learn in that movie isn't the same grid necessarily. It may or may not be. That part is unclear. But what, what I mean by that is in this movie – Flint really is like kind of like bumbles his way through the entire thing. Pretty much, yes. Right? So it's, it's kind of funny that moment where Tron and Yori at the end, I know we're jumping ahead a lot, realize that he believe that he's a user and they're like, well, wait, users are exactly the same as us. Right. Because you know, and then, and then you think here, the song, here they're not as good and in the later movie they're better. Yes. Yeah. You're right. You're right. That's, that's you know, there's 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 uh, having watched this and then Legacy within the same like five hours uh, when Legacy came out. There's definitely some inconsistencies. Yes, though a lot of homage played in the second movie, right? Like I pointed out to Cheryl, right. like the do- the door that they break into th- in the, through in the beginning is the exact same door in the in the yes. Legacy. So you know that things like that, you know. And I think we yep. talked about that in that episode, but honestly, I don't remember. We did. I'd have to relist that episode. Yeah. And I think the changes to Flynn's character have more to do with um, the filmography that uh, Jeff Bridges has had since the original Tron. Uh, the fact that he's become like basically this cultural icon. The whole notion of the like Lebowski and um, that he's this like kind of guru. That he's this wise person. That I mean, that's the reason why they cast him in the giver. Well, I mean, also the fact that he owned it, but that he made a good fit for the giver because he just seems like the super wise dude. Now that's kind yeah. of part of the Jeff Bridges persona. Right. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think that's the, they, they leaned into who Jeff Bridges had become in the intervening, you know, 30 years since that, that original film came out or close to it. And I can't remember. Yeah. It was like 28 years or something like that. Um, so this this film came about because Steven Lisberger, who ended up being the director, was fascinated with video games and specifically Pong. Yes. Now, for all you kids who don't know what that is, um, you could. My guess is you could probably play it on your phone right now, and you would be bored to tears. But back in the early days, there was this game called Pong, and you've probably seen it in movies or something because it's like basically like this, just this, these bars that go up and down the screen and bounce this ball back and forth. Um, I played it a lot. I don't know about you, Todd. I I had one and played it a lot too. So yes. Yeah. So uh, Lisberger became just just really intrigued with this and the idea of creating a video game film 
uh, if he wanted to create an actual uh, fully computer animated film, which is not what this ended up being. And in fact, that's one of the myths is, is that the film has a ton of computer animation in it. It actually does not. It's only about what I think what I was reading was 15 about. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not too much, but, uh, but the look and feel of it is that it's almost completely computer animated, which I always find amusing when, when I hear that from folks. Yeah. Uh, the process for making the film is actually quite complex and expensive at the time. Yeah. At the, at the time uh, it, it was done. It's a, movie still process because it's all filmed as stills by the way just so you understand that this movie is a is a reassembled film it's crazy so what they do is they film it in black and white and they put all the pieces apart okay they create an individual negative for each piece and they scratch the negative with anything they want to be in the background so all those lines you always see behind the characters are scratched onto the negative then they recreate a, a black and white po- positive that they then colorize using three different methods okay one of them is base colorizing so that it doesn't look quite black white okay it has a more you know it gets a wider range of gray tones then what they do is they do two things one they paint onto the onto the positive so that that's some of the colors that you see in the background are are paint and then the rest are they use the negative onto the positive and they shine light through to get the to get the light that to get the color that they want to show up on the positive. That is very complex. <laughs> it's crazy complex. Now, one of the f- funny stories is that they they had to m- have all these things sent out to Kodak, and Kodak would go and they'd recreate they create them based on the process that, as laid out, right? And they'd work with some of the animators that were involved and whatnot. And as Cheryl said, none of them were Disney animators because the Disney animators didn't want to help this group. Um, and what happened was is they made the mistake of trying to edit from the stills directly instead of reassembling the film first. So what happened is if you, you won't see it in recent releases of the movie, by the way, because it was taken out of the recent DVD and Blu-ray releases. But if you can find the older releases, you will notice that there's like glitchy moments where the film seems to jump around and there's a lot of flashes. And that's because they assembled the pieces in the wrong order. And then when they saw it, they said, well, we don't know what to do, so we'll just add even more. And, but when they, re, when they remastered it, they took all those effects out because now they could because they could make a digital copy and then edit the digital copy you watch today. Just everyone's aware of that. Like yeah. I said, complex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole thing, the whole process, the movie, everything, the whole thing was, was very uh, – it was difficult to get to the screen. It was difficult to, to make happen. I mean, the, the whole idea that Lisberger had was that – he was upset that people who used computers and and played video games sort of had it as a, a closed shop, if you will, right? Like the, the general public was not interested in this, which sounds strange today when we all carry them in our pockets um, every single day. But you know that's that's the way things were back in the seven in the in the late seventies when we're talking here, and so. He he wanted to make this game to sort of open every or this this film to open everything up, and then Disney. It's it's sort of funny to watch history repeat itself, um, and it's sort of sad as well because Disney's idea was you know they wanted to give him um, ten or twelve million dollars, and there are some company documents that I was I was kind of flipping through doing research that they thought that they were going to make. Um, 
400 million in merchandising from this film up or I'm sorry, up to a hundred million dollars in merchandising from the film. Again, a $13 million film. Um, just spoiler alert, they did not make $100 million in merchandising from the film. That's why they, they made Spaceship Earth a Tron attraction. There, there was <laughs> another problem, too. There was a very similar toy line that people became attracted to as a result, the Micronauts. Yep. Okay, and Micronauts very much looked like this, this movie when you played with them, and that really took off, whereas the toys that were involved for Tron did not. Now, the Tron so, video games were huge. Yeah. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. in fact, they grossed more than the movie did. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically, uh, the Tron video games everybody knows and love, which incidentally, I will include a link in the show notes where you can play the video game online. Very cool. Say you don't, yeah. So it's, it's very neat. I found it online at one of the various Disney sites. Uh, it's a Bally Midway product. Uh, Disney partnered with them to make the game, and there were only 10,000 made approximately, right? So any, anything else since is just the ROM retransferred. If it's not in the original unit, it's not one of the original 10,000 of them. And like I said, they grow something like 10 times the amount of the movie. So Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. Very crazy. Well, and the other thing that, that's crazy is, you know, we talk about the, the, them using computer animation and that they did only, you know, about 15 minutes of computer animation in the film. Um, I don't know. Did you read this too, Todd, that the computer they used had two megabytes of memory? Yes. And they had to, they could only do so much at a time and then they'd have to take a few stills of it. It's, it's an interesting process. So a little background history on me that I know like Ryan knows this and Cheryl knows this. I'm not sure if Rachel actually knows this. When one of my first jobs when I was finishing up college uh, was working at Draper Labs, and I worked on one of the various Mars Lander projects. Now, most people only know the Mars Lander project that failed initially, and it, it was a different project. But there was a black and white video that I helped work on that was you would see on the news all the time of landing on Mars as a simulation. And it looked really smooth because it was about 23 seconds of video of you know, what it would look like from the point of view of the ship landing on Mars. And I understand what it is to make that because in order to do that, we had to generate each frame and then you take a few, a few clips of it on the video. Then you generate the next frame and take a few clips until you have a good amount of time to show in it as a demo. Like, it's quite complex. And quite time-consuming. Very time-consuming. And I did not know any of that. And now I do. Yes. There you go. Knowing is half the battle. And so do all our listeners. All right. So, yeah, let's let's start talking about this because, uh, as as we said, you know, this is one of those films that's very influential. I mean, like John Lasseter says, uh, to a degree that that Tron was part of the reason why he wanted to make a fully an- a full length animated film. He's even said that without Tron, there would be no Toy Story. Uh, so you can imagine like where we are in the world of computer effects and, and those sorts of things these days, um, where we might have been without Tron. It's, it's very interesting. But like I said, the movie itself doesn't get high marks for storytelling. Some people uh, may currently argue with you, Ryan. Some people would be glad to not have um, certain animated movies right now. <laughs> well... I, I think I think there's a there. I would be glad not to have quite as many of them as we have, but uh, that's a whole other story. Um, let's just let Pixar handle it and let everybody else. Anyway, um, so the film opens 
the thing that I think took everybody by surprise of this movie is the way the film opens with the communication between Jeff Bridges, who's playing Kevin Flynn, the, the engineer, and Clue, the program that he is talking to in the Tron world. Like, it's pretty much a cold open, like you'd hear in a... Uh, it, it, you'd see in a TV show, right, where they give you, like, the first few minutes before the opening credits kind of a thing. In this case, it's not before the opening credits, but it opens, and you're going, what is this? Like, even today, when you're watching it, I don't know if you guys had this moment, but like you open it up and it's like it's really unlike anything you've ever seen. Even 30 plus years later, nothing looks like Tron but Tron. Yeah. Well, it, it's even kind of confusing when you think about it because they have those like three minutes right before they introduce Flynn and they they have them. And you don't know what you're watching, right? Because you haven't been introduced to the world of the right. grid yet. Okay. And you're seeing... They have the people playing the video game of the light cycles, and then suddenly you're inside the video game, and some of the characters inside the video game are talking, and then they do that meanwhile in the real world. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's, it's so interesting because you're like, what exactly is happening here? Uh, and, and there's really no explanation for it, right? There's no there's – no, this is not a movie that – gives you that spoon feeds you the story and and asks you to you know and kind of gives you every step along the way they kind of throw you in in the middle of things and then sort of backtrack a bit um and and let's go about it from from that direction i think i think now is as good a time as any to give a story about my first time watching the entirety of this movie especially with what you're saying ryan about the story and how it just kind of throws you in um the first time that I saw this movie in its entirety, and I, I remember seeing parts of it when I was younger. I think I might have even seen a good portion of it. But the first time I remember watching the entirety of it was right after getting my wisdom teeth out. Oh, my. I decided to watch Tron. I don't really know what motivated this decision or why I thought this would be a good idea. But I was on many drugs at the time of having just had my wisdom teeth out and I watched it and I was thoroughly confused. I think I got about three quarters of the way through the movie and I just went, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> this is what I mean about it being a complex plot. It's even when you're not on drugs <laughs> or, or potentially on drinking alcohol or anything like that, this is still a very difficult movie to follow to yes. understand all the little things. Cause they actually, it's all in there. Don't get me wrong, they actually explain everything that goes on, and it's actually, there's a reason for everything that happens. It's just you don't necessarily catch it all because it's so hard to follow. Right. Well, that's what we were, we were talking before the, before the, the, the show came on. Um, Rachel and I were saying, um, you know, like that a lot of people love Tron and all this kind of stuff. And, and for me, it's not one of my favorite films, but it's simply because of that. Like this isn't a movie I can throw on and like watch dishes or, you know, uh, throw on while I'm, you know, work doing work or whatever. I can't, this is, this is a movie like if I saw on, I have to sit and watch and pay close attention because of exactly what you're saying, like all the information you need is in there. The storytelling is there, but they don't, they're, they're not going to repeat. There's not a lot of exposition. There's not a lot of, you know, like even the relationships aren't entirely clear if you miss certain lines or certain scenes. Yeah. It's a right, movie like, that expects a lot from its viewers. 
which isn't which isn't a bad thing at all it just means that yeah you're not going to watch this you know (laughs) half-heartedly yeah and it it plays very loose with i mean i have a degree in computer science it plays very loose with how computers even work okay but it's okay it's like not like i have a problem with it it's like it's really easy to accept because the way because they define their world well right yeah if anything the people the thing i think people really love about this movie is the world building that happens that's exactly right that's what i was going to say is i think that's why it has succeeded or 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 been tried to have been revived so many times between Tron Legacy, Tron Uprising, um, fan fiction, comic books, all that sort of stuff. The reason why people have tried to come back is that the movie establishes a world that is incredibly intriguing and has consistent rules and all those sorts of things that I think people – you know, all kinds of folks who saw it back in back in the eighties went, well, wow, that's a world I'd love to play in or or read more about or that sort of thing. And now, you notice that it took those folks growing up and getting into a position where they could do something about it for all these things to start happening with the you know the various media adaptations. Yes, yes, and there's references in the computer world, like like Gibbs, who is the guy who actually created and. And com, not Dillinger. Dillinger is the VP, as they point out, right? And Gibbs right. is the guy who created it in his garage, which is a reference back to Apple Computer, right? Because Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak creating the computer in the garage, right? Right. That's a reference to that. Uh, Flynn actually uses an Apple III to break into Encom in the beginning. Right. Okay. Apple III, not a super popular computer either, by the way. <laughs> Despite that it's an Apple product, I know people would find that hard to believe today, but it's not a, not yeah, a very back, popular product back then. Yeah, back in the 80s, it was a little bit of a joke. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, they fixed that. Yeah. And, and to the rules, like there are certain things that you have to pay attention to that go on that they don't even ever take any time to explain, right? Bad guys are red. Good guys are blue. Free programs are yellow. That's why Clue is yellow because he is uh, he is not a program that is under the control of the master control those ones are blue right mm-hmm. so that's there's there's things like that and ones that are serving him are red right and they go in the whole thing but there's a little inconsistencies because apparently that's not how it was originally supposed to be right that's why the light cycles have different colors for example because there were going to be more colors and they're going to mean different things and they kind of backed off of it Although it is interesting, uh, just noting that you know the original idea was, that, like you said, clue, and the, then the yellow stripes was going to be the good, and then the blue was going to be the, um, the the other side of the coin, the bad guys, and they kind of right. stepped away from that. But they have it back in the, they flip it uh, and and do it back in the in Tron Legacy, right, where the bad guys are yellow and the they, they the, do, yeah, the good guys are blue. But in this, like you say, it's red and blue. Um, so after. Clue, the, the tank that the, the program that Flynn is working through to try to hack into this NCOM system is defeated. We get the other side of the coin, which is Ed Dillinger, who is the head, the VP of NCOM, who is talking with something called the Master Control Program. So the whole the whole conceit that is set up in this first five minutes of the movie is that the people in the real world are talking to the computer programs in the game world or the computer world, uh, the grid that we come to call it later, but 
uh, in this in this other world. So that it, rather than com communicating by typing, they're actually speaking to them, uh, and the master control program is talking back to Dillinger and telling him all the things that it wants to do. End of line. Uh, yes. Ending every sentence or every conversation with end of line, which I, just to FYI, I have tried with the folks that work for me at work and it doesn't, they don't understand it. <laughs> they don't understand when the conversation is over. <laughs> no, no. They, they keep talking and I, and, yeah. <laughs> I like that. End of line, by the way, for people who are not programmers is a reference back to what you, the character that's at the end of the line, right? And that's all. And it, it's kind of also an extension of the fact that, like, in a basic program back then, you'd put end. When you'd end your program, you'd have a beginning and an end. So. There you go. Uh, so, so, meanwhile, the master control program basically is saying that somebody's trying to hack into our system, and we need to shut down the system and not allow access into the system anymore, uh, or else, you know, some bad things are going to happen is basically what, what's, what's told, or all of our secrets will be exposed. So Dillinger shuts down access to the system, which prompts uh, Alan Bradley, the income engineer, to protest. <laughs> In the most nerdy way possible. <laughs> because he's a nerd. Yeah, no, it, 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 he's a little bit overdone as a nerd. I, but that's what the 80s was. That's how nerds were por portrayed back totally. then. Yeah. And it's so funny that Bruce Boxleitner, the, who plays Alan, has become like quite cool. Yeah, well, that's, that's the thing. It's like he was revived by Babylon Fires, and it's cool ever since. So. Yep. But yeah, so he protests and... You know, it doesn't get anywhere with Dillinger, uh, and as well as uh, another older gentleman whose name I forget uh, also protests. That's Gibbs. Uh, that's that's Gibbs. the owner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's an employee now, right? Well, I guess he is the he owns the company, but he doesn't run the company. That's kind of sort of it was like a weird situation because remember, there's that scene later where he has like a that well you're kind of sort of talking about, it, but he has a private conversation with Dillinger where they're arguing about the company, and he right. Dillinger just goes go back to work. You you don't run this company anymore, kind of thing. So, right. And so, mean, meanwhile, in between all of this, uh, we get a, a, an insight into what's going on, what the other things that are going on at Income. When we see uh, Laura Baines, who's the another engineer at at Encom, working with uh, another group of folks, uh, and they are figuring out how to digitize solid matter. So they're they're aiming a laser beam at an orange and turning it into digital a digital version of itself. So like making the orange go away and making it become a computer program. Note to everyone out there, this is not something that can actually happen. So this is this is the, the the you now have the basic setup of the entire thing is you have this master control program which is up to something evil. We know that much. Mm -hmm. We have and Dillinger, who is its human companion in the real world, and its writer, it's, and it's it's it's, it's, pro, it's user basically. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then you have Flynn, who's trying to break into the program, and we'll find out why in just a minute. Yeah. And then you have this this foreshadowing setup that we can digitize solid organic matter. And one I, more thing. 
Yes. We also have the fact that Alan discusses that he has made a security program named Tron. Ah, yes, correct. He does mention that. That's what I mean. It's like that, it, but he mentions it in you know a, a small fashion. And if you're not paying attention when Tron shows up later, even though he looks exactly like Alan, you could go, wait a minute, where did uh, he come in? That strange. Right. Yeah, yeah, and that's an, that's one of the key things is that it's not clear why certain things happen in the movie, but that because users and Gibbs says this. Okay, that's the thing is the old, the old gives the old man. He's the one who says this. He said every program we write contains a part of us and a part of our soul. Yeah, right? and I was, that's. I always sorry, took ahead. it because because I'm such a big fan of the Wizard of Oz. I always took it as a you know that in you know back in Kansas there's the farmhands, but of course in Oz then they're you know scarecrow all that stuff. I just took it as a story convention like that. Right. But they actually tell you up front that it has to do something like that. And that's why, like, later on when Gibbs's program is Dumont, in case you didn't catch that, that was his program. It's the oldest program there is. Right. Yep. Because, he, because it's the one that he made in his garage, it's the, which was apparently just an I.O. communications program for an I.O. port. That's why it's the I.O. tower and everything like that. So it's, it was, it's just cleverly plotted out in that respect. It, like, you can yeah, understand... Oh yeah how much effort they put, because they really just try to keep everything, like you said, those solid, solid rules about how the world worked. And, and also, one of the reasons why Flynn is even able to enter into the world is because Clue was destroyed, so he essentially takes Clue's place. Right. When he's brought in. So, he just, and he's a, basically a blue version of what Clue looked like in the, in the grid. Which I know I just jumped ahead because he's not actually there yet. No, that's fine. It's it's totally fine because you're right. I mean, they do set up the the rules of the world very very well, and they adhere to them. But they don't spend a lot of time on them, which I think is is great, right? Like like in Star Wars, there's nobody saying, "All right, we," you know, other than the giant crawl at the beginning, "We are the bad guys. We are the Empire. We can fight in this way, and we can do this and that." But like, if you start talking through Star Wars, it's actually a rather complex plot, right? Mm-hmm. But it's easy because it's it's put in this trappings of something that's recognizable of the hero's journey of Luke. Whereas in this one, I think probably the big thing that's a that's a drawback is that there is not a a main character per se or a main hero taking a journey. I think you could say Flynn. Uh, but I will point to you and say that if you look at the poster for the film, uh, there is no Flynn. Yep. And he goes missing for very large parts of the film as well. Right. Once they introduce Tron, there's this... Well, the, up until the point he gets into the computer and he's first put in that, in that uh, jail cell that they're in where he meets Ram and Tron initially but doesn't realize he met Ram and Tron, Tron right? He has that... Uh, that's when the... It's focus shifts from Flynn to Tron at that, you know, it like slowly, like there's that way where you diverge from one color to the other color, you know, that kind of happens across the movie at that, with that point being the center point. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's an interesting, um, it's one of those films that's just like, like for me, it's actually very hard to, to talk about because 
I find it more interesting than watchable, if that makes sense. Like, I'm so intrigued by the way they put this film together that sometimes I get wrapped up in that as opposed to wrapped up in the story, which, like we've said a few times, is, is, is a little more difficult to follow. And then I find myself trying to catch up, you know what I mean? Like, because I, yeah. I, I kind of drifted off for a second. Right. The world and the rules are more engaging than the story itself. Yeah, that's that, yeah, that's exactly it. And the right. visuals, of course. Yes. Because the look uh, of it is just fantastic. Yeah, though there are some weird things like, like there's that scene at the towards the end when they're flying over the sea of simulation, right? And they're they show the grid bugs. That's the only time you see the grid bugs in the movie. But if you only had played the video game and then watched the movie, the grid bugs are literally one quarter of the video game. Right, because there's that there's that one where you have to maneuver into the t- into the IO tower, right? In the video game, one of the four parts, and you have to shoot the grid bugs to get inside in within the ten seconds. I don't remember. You don't remember it that well. <laughs> I was just playing it, so I, that's the only reason why I remember it. So there you I go. I said I had the link. <laughs> there you go. Speaking of which, um, the space paranoids game, which he's we're about to learn a little bit about in, right. in the thing. Did you know you could go play that at Disneyland? Oh yes, it's in it's in the uh, the the arcade, uh, the Starcade outside of uh, Space Mountain. Yes. See, yeah. I did not know this until I researched them until I did the movie research. I did not know it was in there. So now, when I go back in, in a couple trip. months, I'm going research trip. Apparently, it's in the midst of uh, it sits between a Tron arcade game and a Fix It Feel It Junior game. So yeah, how appropriate. So yes. if you're looking also, for us in November in Disneyland, go try the arcade. <laughs> we may be there. <laughs> you, can't, you can't get a high score in the system, though, because Flynn has all the high scores. That's what, yep. I'm, that's what I'm told. So. And, and it, yeah, it was, it was, uh, they had it for a while when they did the, uh, the Tron uh, evenings. I can't remember what they called them, and I hate this. I hate Tronica. that I missed them. Yeah, Electronica. Thank you, Cheryl. Over at uh, California Adventure, they had them there. Yes, because they had a recreation of Flynn's Arcade, which is the next place that we go in the movie. I too am sad that I missed that. Yeah, I hate that I missed it, but it sounded like a lot of fun. But like I said, the next place we go in the movie is Flynn's Arcade because it's uh, Laura who says that Flynn's probably the one who is hacking into the system. So she and Alan go to to Flynn to let him know that that Dillinger is on to him, uh, and it's here that we get the throwaway line from Jeff Bridges that lets us know that Laura is his ex-girlfriend and that Alan and Laura are together because Lord knows the acting between Boxleitner and Cindy Morgan, who plays Laura, um, did not tell us that before we got there. <laughs> Although he was quite upset. I know, right? It's, it's crazy. So. Yeah. I, I do want to point out that Flynn, like a recent hero, uh, does also have a Sony Walkman, but an earlier model than Star-Lord had, so... That's correct. But yeah, so Flynn says, look, I, you know, I am trying to break in, and here's the reason why, and Todd sort of alluded to it, which is uh, that he wrote all these video games that Dillinger basically stole and has uh, appropriated in order to move himself up the company, and then he fired Flynn. And so Flynn's trying to get his the credit back because the company's making millions upon millions of dollars off of his creations, and he's not seeing any of the money. And so what he says is you know if you'll sneak me into ncom we can i can get in uh and i can upgrade your program alan tron and tron can uh you know help me 
get what I need from this this file that's on the the system that shows that I authored the games. So that right there is the plot of the movie, and what that's probably twenty five minutes in or so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, it's like it's, an hour and a half movie, so it's you know not not quite a third, maybe a, qu- a quarter of the way in before we get the the whole story. But that's it's kind of cool. Like we said, they throw you in the middle and then they they catch you up. Yes, they also play like real like games during the break in scene. Yes, <laughs> because um, the magic card to to break in. I wish they had used that more somewhere. Like I wish they had almost done that inside the grid as well somehow, like some analog of that. Right, because he basically pulls out a credit card and touches it at the door and the door magically pops open. Yes. Which he gets the door open way faster than his son does in Tron Legacy. Well, he's smarter <laughs> than his son, let's be fair. Yeah. <laughs> that was that. one of our complaints about uh, <laughs> about Legacy, was it not? Yeah, that's, that's true. I guess I do remember that. Um, the other interesting thing is Alan makes a reference to him as being Santa Claus, but then later on he has that password that's reindeer flotilla to get into the system. Right? So there's oh, yeah, like, they, does, like, they, yeah. like they bookend things like that all the time in the movie throughout. So it, it, there's clever things. So the, back to what you were just saying about the plot is the one final piece of the puzzle comes in. Uh, where Dillinger and MCP have another conversation, talk, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And basically what you learn is that MCP is bored with his, the area that he's been trapped in and he wants to expand into other areas. So he needs for Dillinger to provide him access to be able to hack the Pentagon and China and the Kremlin and all these things, right? And Dillinger, this is when Dillinger actually starts to have reservations about what's going on. But then MCP says, hey, well, if you don't help me, I'm going to expose this file, and then you're going to prison. And that's the file that Flynn is looking for, right? So he sets it up for what happens at the very end of the movie, right? It's because that, that – and I, I realize that I'm ruining the entire movie right now at this moment. But that's essentially right here. He threatens it, and then when MCP loses at the end, his final act is to give the file to both Flynn and Dillinger. Correct. So, all right. Good night, folks. That's uh, yep, that's we're done. Our, that's Tron. <laughs> yep. See ya. It up. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, no, that's that. That is what ends up happening, and and how we resolve everything. But like, I think this is one of those that we've we've said this a few times in, on the show is that sometimes the movie is about the plot, um, the, and the twists and turns of it. This is not one of those. This is a movie about the journey being way more fun than the destination. Right. Yeah. One interesting thing that I pointed out for people who are fans of Tron Legacy but maybe haven't paid as much attention to this movie, because I realize there actually are people out there who people who got hooked on the video games that came out and then and the soundtrack. Out, and the soundtrack, right. Interesting story about the soundtrack is it wasn't until the D V D came out that the uh theme song got digitally remastered because it had been left off the original soundtrack because the quality of it was so bad. The original CD release. So when they re-released the DVD a few years ago with with Tron Legacy, and they remastered Tron, they were able to finally, with new digital techniques, restore the Tron original Tron theme song. 
Right. So we now have the information, all the information we need, uh, and start the break-in that we talked about earlier where uh, we go past the giant door and Flynn gets in to start hacking into the system. Uh, the MCP quickly catches on to him and starts talking to him and telling him he should not be doing what he's doing. And he... Like like a sad person, it's it's almost like watching a horror movie where you're watching Flynn and they cut to the the laser that digitized the orange, and in case you didn't get it, they cut back to Flynn and back to the laser and back to Flynn and back to the laser, and you're going, move Flynn, just move. Um, but he does not because then it would be a very very short movie. Uh, but the laser fires, the MCP turns it on and digitizes Flynn into the Encom grid. Uh, so he, like you said, Clue got destroyed earlier. So he takes his place uh, and becomes, you know, just Flynn in the in the game grid, uh, and is sent directly to uh, what appears to be some version of Miami because he's playing Highlight. <laughs> this is this is the Pong reference in the movie. Yes, right. Is is he used hi- they use Highlight? Uh, Highlight is a very high speed, dangerous game, by the way, for people who are not familiar with it. But it looks really cool when people play it which is why they used it in the movie. But back to Pong is what Pong was. It was kind of sort of like watching yourself play tennis as some blocky things on the screen, and the tennis ball was a block, and you'd throw it back and forth between each other until someone missed. That's what's going on here is they're throwing the ball back and which is a bit back and forth between each other. Right. Yeah. So... Well, and in this case, it's the high, It's a highlight game where, like, and I remember playing this on the video game, and maybe I'm wrong, but I remember this. Like, you throw the ball up in the air, it bounces off the ceiling, and it bounces on these rings that are next to the other player, and the rings disappear, and so the the other player basically is going to fall through. And what it is is the master control program has told Sark, who is Dillinger's counterpart in the game world, that he wants to he wants to break Flynn in, you know, get him in the games, and you know, give him some hope, let him go along for a while, and then kill him. And so this is the sort of give him some hope phase, even though Sark reacts as though he wanted him to die in this phase anyway. That was that was confusing to me. Yeah. Yes, no, no, you're you're right. Sorry, I was I was reading something because this is also there's a lot actually that goes on in this point. Because remember, I was talking about that transition over to Tron. Is one of the things that when when Flynn is brought to play this game is the first time, even though he's just met Tron in the cell, he hasn't gotten Tron's name yet. So he's walking along with another group, and they, he goes, "Who's that?" And he points at Tron, and they go, "That's the first time that they go, that's Tron. He fights for the users." Right, because that's a very big thing that persists through all the video games that came out after that point and right. into Tron Legacy and yes. Tron it's, Uprising. I was yeah. going to say it's the yep. underpinning of the entire universe. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, they, they, that's that's a big thing. Is that Tron fights for the users, and the whole thing, uh, the whole setup that they that they give here is that. The programs that are rebelling against Sark and the MCP believe in the users, and they just need a way to communicate with the users in order to get the users to help them overthrow this crazy system where they take these, you know, low-level workers like you know accounting programs, which I think is the one that that Flynn ends up beating in this high eye game, and yeah. making them you know play in the games. Yes, Crom. Like Conan Crom. That's his name. It's Crom, C R O M, like C ROM, like a C ROM chip. That's yeah. the 
that's what it's referencing, but it's they just call him Krom. So. Oh. Okay, I thought it might have been a reference to Conan. Didn't he say by Krom or something of that? Krom is what he says. There you go. Just like that. That's how that that was about Arnold Schwarzenegger's acting back then. So. It's true. It would have been around the same time frame. I'm just saying, you don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he, so Flynn wins the first game, but he refuses to kill the 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 loser, uh, and he goes straight from that into the light cycle game, where uh, Tron and Ram are are into the are forced into the game with him. So Ram is an engineer who was in the real world uh, that we saw briefly. Uh, Tron, of course, is uh, Alan Bradley's counterpart. Uh, the light cycles is probably the the thing that most people remember about this movie. The light cycles and the identity discs are probably the like if you don't know anything else about Tron, you probably know those visuals. Yeah, in fact, this motorcycle style that the light cycles are actually became a heavy influence on uh, Japanese animation. Right, especially the movie. And people might remember the movie Akira. Yep, which yep. came out in the late eighties. If you look at Canada's motorcycle and stuff like that. That's that's the same basic design. I also wanted to mention real quick that Ram's real life counterpart is credited as popcorn coworker. Yeah, he's when Alan is walking out to go talk to MCP, yep. he asks if he can have Alan's popcorn. So yeah, the the light cycle thing I think is probably like we were saying the, the most impressive thing from the film, the thing that people remember. It's it's like you said, Tata. It has influence, uh, but in it, it was a cool video game, and it's just a really great and intriguing bit of the film because the mechanics of how the light cycle works, I think, are are some of the best things that they they did in the film. You know, of the the trail behind them and running the other programs into the trail, mm-hmm. uh, you know, squeezing the other programs. I, it's just an interesting and very cool way to use the concept of of light and and solid and lasers and, and all of it. It's just it's very inventive. Yeah, one of the interesting things about this whole sequence, okay is remember we were talking about how difficult it was to make this movie. There's actually some stats about how this particular sequence, okay, is for each of the the individual frames that we're talking about, they, they all had to be hand-generated because this is part of the 15 minutes that's completely computer-generated, by the way. Right. Okay. So there's an estimated 600 coordinates for the camera angle in the computer, during this entire scene. So that means that basically they do it. They first, were first learning how to do computerized camera location inside a 3D environment. That's what they were doing here. And basically, though, if for every, I'm sorry, for every 600 coordinates that they used, got them about four seconds of movie. That's what it was. That's so think about uh, that. Yeah. On a, on a computer that has less memory than, let's say, uh, Candy Crush takes up on your phone. True. Not on my phone. On other people's phones. Let's put it that yeah. way. That's, that's the thing I can't get over is that they were doing you know, these very cool animations on a computer that you know, has no, less memory than a floppy disk at this point. Yeah, so back then there was a whole trick for how you'd program where you'd have to have chunks of – you could break your computer down into chunks and load the currently running portion into 
a resonant portion of memory that would run and stuff like that. It was very tricky. I can imagine. Well, another thing too, we should. This is probably a good place to talk about the fact of how they did the game grid sequences. So, it's one of those things that you don't actually realize. At least I didn't when watching the movie. But when you start ta- uh, reading about it and how it was made, you go, "Oh wow, I, that makes sense." Is the way that they did it is something called backlit animation. So, like in Tron Legacy, all the costumes were, you know, we talked about this when we did that show, laced with neon and and did those sorts of things in order to um, to make the the lights appear on all the costumes. In this case, what they did was they shot all of the game grid sequences in black and white. So all the characters are actually black and white. If you look at the film, and I didn't actually, again, like you, you don't really realize it, but Flynn is black and white. Like the, once he goes into the game grid, he no longer has, you know, a human color to his face. And then they would take the they would, like you were saying, carve lights and, and all that sort of thing and, and shine the lights through in order to make the uh, each of the sequences and make the neon and all those sorts of things that you see on people's costumes and, and everything throughout the movie. Yeah. Very complex. Well, it it also comes back to that filmmakers can get really creative when they are given limitations on what they can do, which is one of the reasons why I think the prequels with George Lucas didn't turn out as well because he didn't face as many difficulties in the actual production process. Right. Um, and in the case of something with like Tron, they didn't have you know the technology that we have today, but they found really creative and unique ways of getting around that. Yeah, and still and and. You know, when it came out, people couldn't tell the difference between a lot of the computer animation and what was not, which is impressive in and of itself. So as Flynn and and Tron and Ram go through and win, basically win the light cycle match, uh, they also try to escape uh, and and are successful in doing so and, and get away from the MCP and from Sark kind of forcing them into all of these games with the goal of trying to figure out a way to to stop this system. Flynn's goal is to find his file uh, in the MCP and figure out a way to get out. And then, of course, Tron is trying to overthrow the the rule of Sark and the MCP and, and, and find justice for all the programs or, or something of that nature. That's what I, that's what I gather. As, and fight for the users. Fight for the users. Yeah. Also, Pac-Man makes a cameo. Yes, or at least the the Pac-Man music, and then if you have to look really carefully to find the actual yeah. Pac-Man. Yeah, when they're escaping, Sark is looking at a uh, video monitor. So, well, I'm I'm not sure that it was actually there when the actor was looking at the particular area. Right. <laughs> but they painted Pac-Man like they put the little power pellets all throughout the the screen that he's looking at, and then they have Pac-Man and the noises being made. Yeah, when when they crash the light cycles out of the game grid those are the noises that that you hear is the pac-man noises yep so uh they they managed to get out of the game grid the three of them but ram uh gets hurt during this uh and so try, uh, flynn has to try and find another way to to get them uh where they're going and this is when he re- starts to realize that because he's a user he can actually manipulate things in the game grid that the programs cannot, uh, and starts building himself a recognizer, which is, that's, oh. that's probably another one of the things that's 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 the and I hate to use this term, but more recognizable from the film. 
Yes, definitely. Also, uh, quick, quick thing. Rachel, what did your husband teach you to say before we recorded? Oh my gosh, I forgot. <laughs> I know this. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this. This whole scene is when he starts doing the greetings program thing. It's so, as soon as they break out and onward. Something about master control? <laughs> oh, no, not that. The, the greetings programs. Oh, is greetings what programs. Just, what Flynn keeps saying to, the, to Ram and Tron every time he meets up with them. Yes, yes. Greeting program. Greetings programs. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, and, and I will say that, like, it's at this point of the film for, for me that things get kind of, it, it actually bogs down a bit. Yes, this this is always the point in the movie that I kind of like in my memory it kind of glosses over it and then it gets to the end and yeah. <laughs> well, they're trying to show us the pretty world, but they spend a lot of time showing us the pretty world. Right, and there's no real reason for the actions of the characters. You know what I'm saying? Like they they basically set up the fact that Tron and Flynn have to split up. That Tron has to go and find a way to communicate with his user, whereas Flynn is going to find a way to get to the MCP uh, and shut it down and, and get his, his information back. But, like, I, I, it's not entirely clear why Tron needs to go communicate with Alan. You know, Flynn's in the game grid already, you, you know, and they're, like you said, they spend a lot of time wandering around the world, right. not actually doing much. Well, keep in mind a couple things, though. One, Alan doesn't necessarily know that Flynn is even in the machine. One of the things that we don't know is in terms of real-world time, we have no clue how long Flynn was actually in the machine. True. Okay, because all of this could have happened in the span of seconds, and we wouldn't know it. Right. Yeah, okay. and, and in the list of things that you would think would happen to someone that you know, you know, getting, getting sucked into a computer is not really one of them. Yes. Also, well, I, I do know Todd, so... <laughs> yeah, but I go in and out all the time. It doesn't count. Um, one of the things, too, is that one of the pl plans was for him to get Alan the higher level access so Alan could upgrade Tron to be able to take out the MCP. Remember, that was, the, that was the fundamental plan. So somehow, how Tron knows he has to communicate with Alan 1, as he calls him. Right. <laughs> I love this Alan 1. How, how he knows that he can communicate with Alan 1 is... Unknown, but that's the plot is Alan is trying to communicate with Tron. Tron is trying to communicate with Alan all as a means to take down the MCP. Correct. It's still complicated. Yes, because like we keep saying is they don't spend a lot of time explaining it. I've just watched enough times to know that this is what's going on. Because eventually after, you know, 50 times of watching a movie, you can actually figure these things out. <laughs> It it might yeah it might take that much yeah. But I really loved this movie when I was a kid. So. Oh, me too. I I and and I still like it quite a bit. Uh, it's just like I said, it's it's one of those that's more in I think intriguing as a piece of history than it is a special film for me. I get you know, but we'll talk about that when we when we read it. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, the, the, we have this whole time where we are spending time trying to figure out uh, with Flynn trying to get to the MCP in his recognizer with Ram, and then Tron trying to figure out what he's doing, uh, and he ends up going to meet the doppelganger of uh, our, what's her name, uh, Laura, 
which Yori, is Yori. Yori, yep. Yori. Uh, and so he he is able to, he goes and sees her who's been sort of, I don't know if she's like spying with Sark. That, that part I've, not, I've never really understood. Like she's with Sark and then she's not. We're never told what type of program she is, whereas all the other programs, we knew Tron was a security program. We knew RAM was an actuarial program. We knew Crom was an insurance, not an insurance program. He was a, but they, he said he calculated something. I can't remember what it is. But like each one had a purpose, right? Clue was supposed to be finding clues, right? That's, that's part of the joke of the name there. He was, he was searching for the clue that would free Flynn, so he was right. clue. Right. Even though, and yes, I know, you know, things like central logic unit, the clue programming language, I know all that story, but what I'm saying is that's why he was actually named clue. (laughs) And so Yori, we never told what her function is, so we don't know why she might have been named Yori or what. It's just never told, right? I guess maybe it had something to do with the digitizing, but it doesn't make sense because that's what Laura was doing in the role, right? Yeah. So... No, you're right. I mean, like we don't we don't ever know. It's just Tron shows up to see her, and I I think it's it's similar to the Wizard of Oz thing that uh, that Rachel was talking about, which is you know we we're just supposed to accept the fact that she is who she is because of who she is in the real world. Right. And part of the tr- weird triangle the, the, which persists for the characters in the grid as well as outside. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, we bit shows back up very important yes yes not really bit. not really but bit is a fan favorite so you have to you can't not mention bit true so bit is the the little floating device that uh that basically says yes or no it's a takeoff on the whole uh bit and bite uh and it, and every uh, the way the 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 movie explains it is like every program has one of these uh to to work with them um, but its actual function is not really explained. Nope. It's just kind of there. Yes. And and mainly there for when Flynn starts getting chased in the recognizer so it can go, no, 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 no. That's, that's what I get. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then it gets, and then Charles like, what happened to the bit? And I'm like, well, if you were, if you were paying attention when Flynn falls out of the recognizer and crashes, a force field goes up and Bit gets trapped inside and that's the end of Bit. You never see him again. Yeah. Poor Bit. Moment of silence. Yes. But you do in Tron Legacy, Bit is one of the statuettes that's on, Fl- on Flynn's uh, grid home mantle there. Right. And so uh, we get the, you know, uh, like we said, you had the Flynn crash with Bit. Uh, we also get Tron communicating with Alan. He has to go through um, Dumont, the Guardian program that protects the input-output, the, the I.O. junction. Uh, so Tron manages to communicate with Alan and get his identity disk. So that's the it, that's the image from the poster and the, pro, the you know the main image of the movie is like him holding his hands up and receiving the identity disc from up above while while Yori looks on, mm-hmm. uh, and so they have to try to get on this solar sailor uh, to get to the MCP core because apparently even though they've been mainly walking around uh, they're like miles away from the MCP. Also, to be clear, it's a simulation of a solar sailor. And they refer to it that way. It's not actually the True. sun. So there's, it can't be an actual solar sailor. Right. 
And Flynn, in his crash, has, like, figured out, because he can manipulate reality, like, he changes his color to fit in with Sark's men. Yes. Uh, to try and hide. And so they send him, along with many others, to try and stop the Solar Sailor, and Tron knocks him over, so he's, like, hanging off the side as they go along, and then he's able to to catch up and, and jump on as Sark's team is, is chasing them. Uh, Sark's command ship destroys the... the the ship that they're on and Flynn manages to keep things together long enough uh, for while Flynn and and Yori are captured. um, Tron does manage to escape. And and that's the thing is like, for me, like the person who's supposed to be the main character in the movie is Flynn, but he's not the real hero of the movie. No, not at all. (laughs) Yeah. This movie actually was like a real launching point for both their careers, oddly enough, despite that the movie didn't do well, is if you look at how their careers both ballooned after this movie. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. What what was the TV show he was in, Cheryl? Scarecrow and Mrs. King, right? Yes. Was just after this movie came out. And it was big. And plus he married um, um, Miss... Mrs. Laura Ingalls. He did. Oh, you're right. I forgot all about that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow, memories. By the way, this is the point in my notes where at one point it says Sark is not amused, and then, a pa- and then something happens, and after that it says MCP is not amused. <laughs> 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 that happens a lot in the movie. <laughs> yes, it does. It very much does. Yeah, Sark and, and MCP, and they, because they have the same basic voice, it's it's very funny. Uh, right, because they were both written by Dillinger. That's, correct. Yes. Yeah. Also, like somewhere in here is where we start to learn that MCP was originally a chess program. Yes, because he he makes the crack about um, that like it it should have been deleted, that it was. Like, pretty much, like, who cares? Like, right. It's a chess yep. program. Usually they're just there to upset people. Yeah. And, and to occupy your time, basically. Occupy your free time. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, they, they managed to, you know, Flynn and, and Yori are, are captured ab- aboard Sark's ship, but Tron manages to escape um and and Sark gets to the MCP on a shuttle capture with the programs he's captured uh including Dumont who he had gone to to grill and they like sort of hook everybody into the MCP so that the MCP can boost its power and eat the programs or something of that nature I I will admit still not 100% sure what what's going on at this time but it would have made a great ride It's it was like one of those barrel rides where the where it spins around and the floor drops but you stick to the wall by the way, you know, you know what we forgot to mention? And by the way, fans are probably screaming, right, especially Dennis. <laughs> um, but that when they fly over the Sea of Simulation is when you see the big giant hidden Mickey. Yes. Right. By the way, scene 14 on the DVD for people who want to find it really quickly. So. Yes, very true. There's a, there, there is indeed a hidden Mickey in the movie. So when they get to the MCP, Tron is the one who's trying to get through, um, and he manages to actually confront Sark directly. Um, and they have the big identity disc fight, which is probably the second coolest thing in the movie behind the, the light cycle fight. Yes. 
the the only similar like I keep coming back to the only similarly memorable moment in a movie, which because we just did this in Prince of Persia, we had the same conversation. Was that Krull always c- comes to mind when I think of these guys fighting like this? Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, he he manages to win that fight and sort of damages like the if you could see the top of Sark's head and and then his shoulder and everything. Um, and so the he MCP, starts leaking bits. He does not bit the character, but other bits. Yes. Yes. Uh, and so the MCP has to transfer its powers to Sark to try to help uh, protect him. Um, and that doesn't work very well. So uh, Flynn has managed to get away at this point. Uh, Tron is trying to fling his identity disc into the shield protecting the MCP, which is literally just like a little digitized rectangle. <laughs> Several of them, but still. I well, no, no. M- those are his. Those are MCP shields, right? Because that's actually something you have to do in the video game. Remember, you have to shoot through the shield. Right, that's what the, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But MCP itself is just a giant red spinning top. Uh, yes, you're you're correct. <laughs> with, with a face. With a face. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And isn't it in one of the um, the games? The I can't remember what are they called? Where where you like play Mickey and Donald and you run around? What is? Epic Mickey. Ep- not Epic Mickey, the ones that came before that. Oh, I don't know. But there is uh, a Kingdom tr- Hearts. Kingdom Hearts. Sorry, I was like drawing a complete blank. Yeah, I think he. I think you have to fight MCP as one of the bosses in Kingdom Hearts. Well, Pete, Pete dressed up as Sark is in uh, Epic Mickey. Well, Eric, Eric is chiming in that Kingdom Hearts Two has a Tron level. Okay, I was right. I knew I'd seen it. Yep. There you go. Yeah, so that's the uh, the way that they get past that is Flynn actually jumps into the MCP, um, which is supposed to be dangerous because the MCP's like eating people or something. It's not really clear. <laughs> yeah, they distract him long enough. There's a gap in the shield. Tron throws his disc through the the gap in the shield, which destroys both the MCP and Sark, uh, and and everybody goes home happy. Yes, it, everything turns blue again, and then everybody goes home happy. Yeah, the uh, the moment that he throws the disc in, it's very it's very akin to um, like Luke Skywalker, um, you know, making that one lucky shot ah, right into in yeah. yeah, and especially considering the imagery earlier, like which is the cover for Tron, and you know the image that everyone thinks of with Tron is very similar to the original poster for New Hope. Well. Here, here's also a fundamental difference. We going back to a movie named John Carter, and that John Carter never appeared on any of the movie posters. It's very important to note that this movie is named Tron, and Tron is what appears on the poster. As we keep coming back to, so see the marketing difference. True. <laughs> and and both of them were mildly successful. Yes. So though compared to their expenditures, this one might have actually made more money. That that is very true. Yep. Especially if you count the video game. Yeah. I don't recall seeing a John Carter video game, although I'm I'm sure they tried to make one. Um, it is interesting you bring up Star Wars though, because I feel like Disney's been chasing Star Wars since nineteen seventy seven, if you think about it, right? Because they, they tried to make Black Hole as the a franchise that could compete with Star Wars. Uh, and then they made this movie thinking they were going to make a lot of merchandise because remember star Wars, the film was huge, but the merchandise from star Wars, the film was huger. I don't think that's a word, but you know what I'm saying? Much more Uh, incredibly huge. Yes. And continues to be huge to this day. 
And then, like, so Disney did that, and then obviously they tried to resurrect it with Tron Legacy, and they tried to create this cohesive story universe. Like, if you if you read anything about the Tron Task Force at Disney, like, they would, how do we promote Tron across all of our different, you know, touch points? And then it was, you know, they had this whole thing going on of, okay, the video game shows how things lead into the movie and the animated series is going to fill in this gap. Like they had plotted out this whole thing of like the comics will tell this part of the story. The video game will tell this part of the story. The movie is this part, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and if, if you believe what you read, they're trying to do now that they have actually gotten star Wars after, you know, uh, 25 years, they are trying to do the same thing there. Like the novels, the star Wars rebel show, uh, the comic book series, the the and the and the new films are all supposed to be. There's not going to be overlap between them, right? They're going to be telling the different part of the story. Uh, so it's like it's taken Disney 25 years to actually get their Star Wars franchise, and they did it by spending four billion dollars to actually get Star Wars. <laughs> They'll make it back. Yes, they will. Yep. Probably within the first couple of movies. Yeah. Or you could you could argue that they just had to buy Marvel and make Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but once I mean, again, something they had to buy. <laughs> right. But they're not alone. Like everybody's been chasing that I mean, and we've talked about this too on the show. Like everybody's been chasing that franchise, that trilogy that's gonna be their continual IP for years and years to come. You know, ever, since nineteen seventy seven. I mean, that's why we are in the middle of you know, sequelitis and why the only thing that's keeping Paramount afloat is Transformers movies. You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of where we are in Hollywood these days. Yeah. They're not seeking to be creative. Yeah. But then again, there's also Disney buying it all up as we were just saying. Yes. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. And the only thing keeping Sony afloat is uh, Spider-Man. So, you know. Yeah. So good luck, Sony. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, back to the movie, you know, uh, like we said, Flynn gets uh, sent back into the real world. Uh, and, and Todd had mentioned this earlier, but a printer next to him starts printing out the evidence that Dillinger uh, had taken all of the video games from him. And when uh, Dillinger comes in, he sees the MCP has been deactivated and the screen is displaying the same email or communication that Flynn was the one who had designed all the programs. And you know it come, came from MCP, as I was saying earlier, but the reason why you know it is because it ends with end of line. Yes. And then uh, the last shot of the movie is a, a helicopter basically landing on the roof of NCOM with Flynn there and uh, Flynn landing and Alan and Laura greeting him. Uh, and we are to assume that he has his position back at the company, but we, we don't actually know what happened until Tron Legacy. I really do like the last shot of this movie because the last shot is that city at night and it once again is very reminiscent of the look inside um, inside the world of Tron. Like, it, it very much matches it visually. The dark with the bright neon colors. One of the video games actually has a map of the grid where the grid, because of the way the internet grew, kind of sort of light-wise mimics the continents. So the because so they have the grid mimic the continents. It's actually very clever. What well, this is back when ge- video games came in boxes and had maps with them and stuff like that. 
don't know if anybody else remembers that. Ryan probably does. Cheryl probably does. <laughs> I'm not sure if Rachel does. I think yeah. I was right on the end of that. But yes, I have vague recollections. Yeah. Uh, I did want to mention one thing is that while this movie, as we said, only has about 15 minutes of complete computer animation in it, is that it is one of the first movies whose script was edited on a computer. Did you know this no. story? So uh, the script itself, they actually, because it just helped them keep it better organized to edit it in a word processor on a computer. And they actually, to fool the studio into thinking it was typewritten, printed it out on a printer in courier font. On a, on a dot oh. matrix printer, yeah. Or, or I'm not unclear if it was a dot matrix printer or those old printers that had like the typewriter thing, the little circles that had all the things on it, like a typewriter. They had those printers too back then. Can't remember what they were called, but people know what I'm talking about if they saw one. So, but very clever, right? Yeah, very clever. But you know, they were uh, they were adapting on this movie, like like Rachel said earlier. You know, it's it's one of those where you have to try to. To to make things fit within the uh, the budget that you have and the in the timing that you have, uh, so yeah, they also really did have an arcade on set. Well, why wouldn't you? Yeah, and Jeff Bridges had had trouble giving up the games to go actually shoot scenes. I actually have a quick note about Flynn's arcade. Um, okay, so. Uh, Looping back around, um, yeah. recently I saw the movie Boyhood. I don't know if any of our listeners have seen it, but it was a movie that was literally filmed over the course of a kid's life from about age 6 until age 18. Um, and the interesting thing about it was that they were actually setting it in whatever year as far as cultural ref- uh, references and influences, as far as the video games that he was playing. And watching this it reminded me that um, the video arcade existing and being a thing and people going out and hanging out at video arcades automatically makes this into a kind of period piece. So Tron is one of the few movies that you can honestly point to and say it is both a period piece and also speculative science fiction. It's a good point. Because, I mean, back when they made Tron, they never thought, oh, there will be a time in which video, arcade, video arcades are not a thing. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it like that, but you're right. They didn't. The, the thought was uh, this was always going to exist. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And oddly, even the other thing is it was denied uh, entry into the special effects category for the Academy Awards at the time because they thought that using computers was cheating, even though it really wasn't a lot of computers used, right. as, we've, as we've discussed. Uh, but the, it was awarded basically posthumously as a technical achievement award 14 years later. They, they received this, one of those special Academy Awards that they do. Yep. Which, is, which is hilarious because if you look at um, who's actually nominated nowadays for uh, best special effects. It's almost exclusively um, computer-generated effects. Right, because there's so few that aren't other than the Captain America movies where they seem to like to not do them. Yes. And even those, I mean, giant helicarriers, just so you know, were not actually flying in the sky. What? 
<laughs> I know. I, I, I'm sorry. I should have put a. I should have put a, a a warning there. So yeah. you guys were sitting down. Next, you know next why? thing because... you know, you're going to be telling me stuff about the Easter Bunny, and I don't know. I, Brian, I'm not. I'm not sure we can continue this conversation. All right. Let's let's move on then. <laughs> Uh, anything else that we want to say about Tron? No. All right. Uh, so as, as you guys all know, this, uh, or you may not know if, you, if you're not a longtime listener, but like basically we each get to pick movies uh, that we that we like throughout the year that we want to review. Um, and I'm going to let the person who picked this one go first because uh, that would be Mr. Todd Perlmutter. Yes. So can I give actually- a rating? I actually picked this as my birthday movie because, like we've discussed before, we get to pick our birthday movies. So this was yep. my pick for that this year. Um, so I really like this movie. Like I said, I've I've seen it probably as many times as I've seen Star Wars. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> uh, it's it's just that type of movie for me. So I am one of the super geeky, or if we're going the Alan route, the nerdy types that enjoys this movie a lot. Um, I realize that it's not without its faults. It has a lot of faults in term, like we said, because it's really the state. It never comes through on making its statements, but its statements are there. You can see them, you know, if you've watched it enough times. And this, but the plotting and the pacing is just way off. Yeah. Right. That and that's that's its fundamental problem. I I would give it a three, except I really do love it, so I'm gonna give it a three and a half. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Rachel, what about you? I'm also going to be giving this one a little bit of extra credit for being super ambitious and also for trusting its audience with a very complex plot. I'm going to give this three and a half stars. I also really love the look of this movie. No movie has had ever looked like Tron and no bit movie will look like Tron ever again because of when it was made, the limitations to the technology, and they had to get super creative about it, and no one is ever willingly going to do that nowadays in film. So three and a half stars from me. All right. Cheryl, what would you say? Well, I've been thinking about this because, I mean, we go a lot with plot motivation conflicts. You know, I, and I really just don't see... The plot's hard to follow. Right. Um, I definitely there's motivation conflict, obviously. But since the plot is so hard to follow, I guess I go and go with a three as well. Yeah, I am going to agree with you, Cheryl. I'm I wouldn't give this a three. I think it's really ambitious, like Rachel was saying. Uh, but like you, like I think we've all said throughout, uh, the plot is difficult to follow. And the, and the other thing we didn't really touch upon is, even though I think the performances are decent in places, there's no real chemistry between the actors. Uh, at least, at least for me, you know, there wasn't any like uh, heartfelt moments, like. When we when we watched Tron Legacy, we we all said like, hey, I don't know that I necessarily buy the relationship between Garrett Hedlund and and Jeff Bridges, but when they're together, that's when the movie is at its best. And there was there's none of that in this, uh, and I think that knocks it down a little bit too. But I'm a sucker for good world building, and and this is really good world building, um, as judged by the idea that you know they built a lot of other stuff on top of it. So I will also give it a three. So there you go. That is our discussion of Tron. I am sure there are those of you out there who are going to 
disagree with us, who are going to want to talk about it, who are going to agree with us. Want, want to, you people have opinions about Tron. Everybody, uh, it seems, in the Disney community does, so we want to hear from you. Go leave us a note in the show notes uh, over at DisneyFilmProject.com. You can tweet us at DizFilmProject after you've heard the episode, or, of course, find us on Facebook at DisneyFilmProject, or email us, DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. Let us know your opinion. We would love to hear it. Um, and if we get you know a lot of emails and things like that, then or, or tweets or Facebook posts, uh, we might talk about them during the show. You never know what we are going to do because, quite frankly, neither do we. All right. If you are listening to us, I assume you are listening on uh, iTunes, or uh, you could also be listening on Stitcher. You could be listening also on Diz Dad's Radio. Uh, so we appreciate all of the folks who are listening at the various locations. But uh, if you would go leave us a review or a rating on iTunes, that helps people find the show. Uh, so if you if you like what we're doing, uh, we would appreciate it if you could go do that. If you don't like what we're doing, um, just keep it to yourself if you wouldn't mind, or or send us an email and let us know what we can do better. Maybe that's a better way to go about it all right uh so that is this week's episode of looking at tron for todd and cheryl and rachel i'm ryan and we will see you again soon that looked much easier from the other side of the screen won't that be grand computers and the programs will start thinking and the people will stop great can it send me to hawaii end of line